from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our first scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Please turn with me to page 3 of the New Testament. Listen for and hear the word of God. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fastened 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came to him and said, came and said to him, If you are a son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The, then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All of these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship your Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of Lord. Thanks be to God. Second text also from the lectionary comes from the book of Psalms, the 32nd Psalm, page 479 in your pew Bibles. I encourage you to, to follow along as I read out loud. If you brought your own Bible or want to grab the pew Bible in front of you, and to keep your, your thumb in place there, because I'll be referring uh, to specific verses in this text later on in the sermon that you might want to see uh, with your own eyes, even as they're read aloud. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. At a time of distress, the rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of deliverance. I will instruct you and, and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding whose temper must be curbed by bit and bridle, else it will not stay near you. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust 
in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Uh, Lord, break open uh, this word afresh to us on this day so that we would be changed on this first Sunday of another Lenten journey, that we would be transformed even into the likeness and image and way of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I was in South Georgia this past week, Valdosta and Quitman, Georgia, to be uh, specific. I was at a board meeting for the Presbyterian Homes of Georgia. And when I checked out of my hotel and I went into the parking lot of the hotel, I began to notice a high volume of cars from out of state. When I got on I-75 after the board meeting was over to come home, uh, not too far from the Florida-Georgia line, I began to see more and more cars and more and more vans and more and more SUVs and more and more trucks pulling campers and more and more RVs with out-of-state license plates. Iowa, Ohio, Michigan, Missouri, and even some from Minnesota. I'm not exaggerating when I say that I saw two dozen vehicles with Ontario Canada plates. Some had bike racks, some were towing golf carts, uh, and many had their trunks packed, filled with suitcases and uh, beach chairs. About an hour into my drive home, as I was noticing all of these out-of-state vehicles, uh, it finally dawned on me. I'm a slow learner, it took me about an hour. But I finally realized what I was seeing. I was seeing a bunch of snowbirds headed home. I was seeing them wrapping up their extended stays, perhaps even the full month of January and February, and they were headed back to their hometowns in their home states. They were leaving their warm uh, vacations. They were traveling back to what's left of winter in their hometowns, to the snow and to the cold and to the dreary weather that will still, at least for them, hang around for a few more weeks. And as I was driving, I was also thinking about how I was going to open this sermon. And I thought, actually, this is a pretty good metaphor. This is a pretty good image for the Lenten journey. Because for the past two months, January and February, the weeks immediately following Christmas tide, we experienced the season that we call Epiphany. And that season begins with a bright, warm light like the Florida sun shining high in the sky, the light that guided the Magi to the Christ child, where the world has an epiphany, where the Christ has been revealed to all of us. The epiphany season continues with, I would say, the warm glow of the teachings of Jesus, 
the warm glow of his instructions that came to us on the Sermon uh, on the Mount in those early days of his ministry. And the season of Epiphany concluded last Sunday with bright and radiant lights from the Mountain of Transfiguration. If you were here last week, we talked about how all those lights uh, overwhelmed the disciples with great fear. Fear knowing that that if this Jesus is the one that they have to follow down in the valley on the way to the cross, then there is going to be something of fear to come over them. Something hard as they walk the journey to the cross. The journey to Christ's suffering. And I think in many ways, Lent is sort of a homecoming. It's sort of a homecoming for the Christian community. Lent is certainly not a vacation. Lent is not all that fun. Lent is not an escape to sunny Florida for two months. Lent is the real world. Lent's not spring break. Lent is the hours and the days that we live in routine and what is right in front of us. And so in that way, Lent is the real world, right? Lent is brutally honest for us in this season. It invites us into a season of honesty about sin, about the human condition, and about the darkness and evil that is so pervasive in the world. Lent holds all of it in tension, right? At the very core of this season, we're holding in tension the suffering and death of Christ and also the expectation of his glorious resurrection. We hold these things in this season in tension, the joy and the hardship, the life and the death, the sorrow and the hope. And so the sermon series that we are launching for this season of Lent is sort of like our I-75 out of Florida on the way back home. And the Lenten Psalms, the Psalms that appear for each Sunday during this season, will sort of pave the way for our Lenten journey. Not only will they pave the way, they'll sort of be the billboards that we see all along the journey, guiding our way, letting us know where we are, how many miles we have till we get home. So our series is entitled Songs of Sorrow, Songs of Hope. And through these six Sundays, we will use the psalm to anchor our reflection on this notion of songs of sorrow and songs of hope. Let me say one thing about, about the psalms. The psalms are the people of God's songbook. The psalms are what give us part of our vocabulary of faith. They, they teach us the rhythm of our faith. They, they give us a theological imagination of who we are and who God is, and they help shape our ethical life, what it means to be brothers and sisters in the household and family of God. And what we'll discover about these Lenten psalms, just like the Lenten season, is that they will be brutally honest about sorrow even as they are brutally honest about hope, because these psalms possess realism. They possess realism, and they allow for sorrow and hope to exist on the same lines. 
They allow sorrow and hope to breathe the same air, to occupy the same space. And in addition to these Lenten Psalms, as I mentioned earlier in the, in the welcome and announcements, and we'll continue to, to put this devotional before you, we're also going to take time to look at the spirituals using uh, Luke Powery's book called Were You There? A reflection, a Lenten uh, reflection on uh, the spirituals. Because like the Psalms, the spirituals are brutally honest about the way the world is. They're brutally honest about the evil and sinfulness of slavery, the evil and sinfulness of human bondage, the evil and sinfulness of narratives that, that are rooted in racial superiority, even as they are songs of freedom, even as they are songs of hope, longing for the day and working for the day that God would overturn evil systems and injustice and make things right by an act of God's grace. So the spirituals, like the Psalms that we'll read, are songs of sorrow and they're songs of hope. And that's why, again, I'm so pleased, Willie, that you're here with us, leading in worship, also teaching, as we get to experience and practice these songs together in the midst of our education and our worship. So that's our road. That's the forward to this series. This is the shape that our Lenten journey is going to take. This is the road we will travel through these 40 days. And so for what remains uh, of the sermon this morning, I want to invite you to turn your attention once again to Psalm 32. And if you're so inclined, take out your own Bible. If you look it up on your phone, do that. Or take out the scripture that is uh, in front of you in the Pew Bible. Because I want to talk a little bit about this psalm. I want you to have it open in front of you. I want to talk about the ways in which this psalm lets sorrow and hope breathe the same air. It lets sorrow and hope dance the same dance within just one singular psalm. And the way sorrow and hope show up in this particular psalm is through the interplay of sin and forgiveness. Sin plays the part of sorrow here. And forgiveness plays the role of hope. And the psalmist in the very first verse begins with these words. These are words of hope. Happy or blessed are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy or blessed are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. What the psalmist is doing is, is elevating the liberation and the freedom that comes under the blanket of the forgiveness of God. For the ways in which the burden that we carry on our backs is lifted. The way God's grace frees us to stand up straight and to walk the road ahead. But right there in the following verses after the opening ones, you you begin to see how sorrow begins to, to take up some of the oxygen in the psalm. As the psalmist says that, that they, quote unquote, kept silent and did not confess their sins to God. It was a time for the psalmist when they were deeply burdened. You know how that feels. 
When you're carrying the weight of something that has been unsaid, something that has been unspoken, something that has not been named, like an albatross around the psalmist's neck, it weighs them down. And this is their sorrow. This is their lament. While I kept silence, it says, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. What's so interesting about this particular line is how it, it proves modern psychology today. Thousands and thousands of years ago was this written, and yet we know it from modern psychology, the burden, the physiological, the emotional, the spiritual, the psychological effect on us when we hold things inside, when we don't tell the truth, when we keep silent. The psalmist knew such things. And I want to spend a moment with this line because I find this line to be incredibly compelling and I wanted you to have it open so you can see it again for yourselves. It's so instructive, I think, for our Lenten journey. The Hebrew word for silence here literally translates to the word deaf. The, the, the psalmist is deaf to their transgressions. The psalmist doesn't hear. Perhaps the psalmist refuses to hear the decibel level of their sin. The psalmist is ignorant to it, avoids it, buries it, casts it aside. The psalmist is oblivious to what has broken relationship between them and God, and they're oblivious to what's breaking relationship between them and their neighbor, and they're oblivious to what it is that's causing them dissonance within their own psyche, within their own self. And in their deafness, the psalmist groans. This is powerful imagery. It's an interesting word here in Hebrew because it's the same word to describe the roar, the ravenous roar of a lion, this groaning. It's also a word to depict the cry of human distress. And so what the psalmist is saying is that when one is ignorant to their sin, when one doesn't tell the truth about their sin and their iniquity, when they don't acknowledge the brokenness, when they, when they don't acknowledge what they've done or what they've left undone, that's the time, says the psalmist, when we begin to spiritually and physically and psychologically waste away. We begin to deteriorate. And friends, the refusal to be honest about our sin, to tell the truth about our brokenness, that does a number on us that makes us roar and rage like a lion to cry out in distress without actually naming what it is we really need. And so it's not just children. We adults do this too when we bury this sin. We act up and we act out. And while we are deaf to our sin, our sin is not deaf to us. It speaks to us. It shapes us in unconscious ways sometimes. And until we name it for ourselves, the psalmist is right. We just waste away. It will burden us. It will shape how we live. It will shape what attributions we have for ourselves, what attributions we have for other people. It will eat at us. It will continue to shape how we think about ourselves and how we think about others and the world until we are ultimately freed from its power. 
And so the gift that comes to us in the season of Lent is time and space to be straightforward and honest about our sin. Rebecca kicked us off in Ash Wednesday talking about this, about a time where we tell the truth about ourselves, about the honesty that we're called to bring, about the true nature of things. Our older son, uh, Johnny, is a, a piano player and a singer, and he's working through the Billy Joel catalog. And I have to tell you that one of my favorite songs right now, when, I, when he comes home after practice and he sits down at the piano and he sings Billy Joel's Honesty. I know that's dating some people here, but he sings that song, Billy Joel's Honesty. It's such a lonely word. It's such a lonely word. But it's the word I need to hear from you. It's true that this is a season to tell the truth and to be honest. And let me clarify something to that end. What we're talking about here is telling the truth about our own sins. We are not talking about telling the truth about other people's sins. That's what social media is for. We're not talking about the speck in our neighbor's eye. We're talking about the log in our own light, line of sight. So I would suggest that Lent is not a time for us to be prophets going around correcting everybody. There's a time for that. But Lent is a time, I think, to be a pauper, to tell the story about our own spiritual bankruptcy, to tell the story of what we've done and what we've left undone, the truth about ourselves. Now is the time to recognize our own sin and profess what the psalmist once wrote when they said, then I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and the Lord forgave the guilt of my sin. The book of John put it this way, First John rather, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus said in the Gospel of John to his disciples that it's the truth that will set you free. So many times in our faith we become confused because we think it's our morality or our piety that will set us free. Or that deceit or being deaf to our sin, burying it, will set us free. Or rage will set us free. Or an attack will set us free. Or avoidance will set us set us free, or even time will set us free. But Jesus says that only the truth can set you free. The truth about your own life and the truth about who God is as God's grace and forgiveness come to each and every one. And so I'll close with this, because I find this so much easier to preach than to do in my own life. Because one of the most difficult aspects of telling the truth about yourself, whether it's to God or whether it's to somebody else that you've wronged or someone that you trust with a vulnerability, is how unpredictable it is. Because you don't know exactly what's going to happen. The guilt or the shame or the, the embarrassment or the consequences that might come with such a confession. We, we want to avoid that even during the season of Lent. 
So let me offer this word of encouragement for those of us, if you're like me, who aren't sure they're up for this kind of truth-telling, this kind of honesty. Words that come from a pastor named Nadia Boltz-Weber when she said, as frightening as it might feel, as much as it might feel like it's going to crush you, the light of the truth is something you can live in because the love of God has freed you and indeed has freed every human being from the need to live in any deception or lies. She says, so step into the light, you'll be fine, you'll be real, and you'll be free. Amen. Oh.
Anani.